Association. 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 That was such uber ponage. Hello, fellow nerds from the studios of WBNS Radio in Columbus, Ohio. This is the Nerd Association Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Barnett. And I'm your other host, Mark Finch. And Daniel, I had the chance to see this movie in theaters. It was my first go back into the theaters. So that was that was pretty exciting, especially for Jen and I, my wife, because we, we really loved going to the theater. So having that taken away during the pandemic was one of the biggest things I noticed from a personal level. Luckily, I didn't have to deal with any major sickness or anything. So yeah. the thing I missed the most was the theater at the time. So it was really nice to go back. But let's jump into it. Yeah. What do you think of when I say... <laughs> very good very good well that boy that was what what a quiet place in the audio that was right <laughs> no i think about uh i think about a quiet place part two you and i were talking uh ahead of time i never quite loved the movie theater experience even before the pandemic so full yes. disclosure i have not been to the theater to see this and uh paramount that is you know distributing this film they're, they have started to break the mold of having things stream simultaneously to them being in the theaters. So on Paramount Plus, you will be able to watch this movie beginning July 12th, 45 days after the theatrical release. So that means that I'm operating uh, in the dark here, if you will. Uh, I'm going in a little bit blind as opposed to a little bit deaf. And uh, right. But I have seen A Quiet Place Part 1. I trust Chops to to lead us. and And I think... Uh, I'm familiar with the plot because, as you all know, I I eat spoilers for breakfast. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So let's let's jump right into it. So, to give us your impressions. I mean, so, okay, so this is your first movie in a movie theater for a year and three months or something like that. Yes. Was it was it satisfying? Was it a satisfying one to jump back in with? It's a good movie experience because, uh, especially because of the conceit of the movie, and there's more dialogue in this one, but it's not. It's still very quiet. So seeing it in a movie theater, dark in a movie theater, is is really helpful. We luckily didn't have anybody who was being distracting in the audience. We saw it at like twelve thirty in the afternoon, mm-hmm. so it wasn't a very crowded theater, which you know, double bonus for that based on I don't want to be in the most crowded theater but I do want to go back and it's nice to not have anybody who just wasn't there to see the movie being distracting or anything right. but uh, this and some of these opinions if you saw my chops movie review on this on Twitter or you heard it on Bishop and Lord Nidus, some of these things are going to sound familiar because well I can only have my own opinions Correct. so they're going to sound similar um difficult to achieve distinction but it gets it uh, it's a pretty good sequel they they do the things you need to do. They expand on characters. They expand on the world. They give you more information, but they don't go too big. And like all of a sudden the government's there and we're taking, you know, they don't do anything like that. It's still very much about that family, but they spread out a little bit more and they're looking now for a little bit more solution because at the end of the first one, there they are. Uh, their father or the husband is dead they can't stay where they've been staying because it's been compromised and now there's plenty of loud noises around it so they go out looking for what's next for them yeah this reminds me a little bit of um you know you're talking about the mistakes this movie didn't make uh and it makes me think a little bit of 28 days later versus 28 weeks later uh right remember killian murphy common connection between those two and the biggest difference between those two is john krasinski still wrote and direct 
directed. Correct. So yeah, there was the three. That's lines. what happened to tw- 28 days later, big hit. Awesome. And the studio goes, well, look, we got to make another one. And the studio just took it yeah, and made a sequel. And then it was, it, it, I mean, 28 weeks later is okay, but it's not the same type of feel. Well, I think kind of what you alluded to, it makes some of those mistakes of like bringing in, making the world too big for the, you know, the thing that was great about a quiet place was that it was focused on this one family and it was so stark both in its, mm-hmm. you know, in the audio and how cl- closely you had to listen. I never even thought about the fact that seeing in a theater, if you have like one jerk th- right. th- who did not silence their phone, like it could really ruin that experience. And they, they, they don't play up the silence quite as much in this one. And maybe that helped just because I was in a theater, but they, they give more avenues for the characters to be able to talk, you know, yeah. for exposition and just for anything. And it also starts with a flashback of the first day these monsters show up, which is a, a very exciting sequence. And the the scene where they go back to Main Street and it's kind of shot in a one And there's this, I really like this camera work by John Krasinski and, you know, and he's in the shot, so he directs it, but somebody else, you know, has to, I mean, and he wouldn't be the camera operator anyways, right. but either way, him being in the shot and being the director, it's really cool. There's a, there's like a hidden cut when he gets out of his truck and onto the street and the way it kind of pans around him and everything. And it like, they don't do this, but it feels like those images, you know, sometimes in TV shows where they'll like change the aspect ratio for an action scene sure. and you get that moment. It kind of feels like that because now you're like, okay, the, the, like the monster is landed on the ground and he steps out of his car to see what's going on. And it's like, and it, yeah, it just kind of opens up. And it, I thought that was a really well shot part of the movie. Yeah. Well, and, and before we get too far away from it, the, the whole conceit of a quiet place and then, you know, partially of, of part two makes me think of No Country for Old Men and how that's a movie that there's almost no soundtrack to, which is something that like the, the first time you watch No Country for Old Men, you probably don't even realize that there's almost no soundtrack in that movie. Yeah. And how much that changes the tone of a film just by omission. By making it seem so, so much more stark and lonely, and have you ever seen those YouTube videos where people will take laugh tracks out of sitcoms and they're yeah. actually really sad? <laughs> yes, it's kind of like that, right? Your ear is used to with a film being constantly entertained. It's used to being stimulated, yes. and so, and of course, the the conceit works in a quiet place because of the the monsters and because of the the premise that this family has a daughter who was born deaf, and they use sign language, and they have the tools to combat this situation more efficiently than probably most people in the world. Of course, as you and I were discussing ahead of time, both movies rely on every character having the worst luck possible all the time. (laughs) Yes. Because you know, this one, it, after the flashback scene, it starts right where it left off and they're, they're getting out and they have a baby, you know, like an actual infant. Right. So they have to put her in the little oxygen box. So she doesn't make too much noise as they're trying to go. And they go, we have to go somewhere. And they light the, the girl, goes up to the top of the like silo and lights the fire and she sees the other fire and they say, well, let's go out there. They always responded to dad when he lit the fire. So it's somebody and yeah. they maybe they know and they go out there and it turns out it's actually somebody from the flashback. So they, they knew each other as townspeople, families, uh, whatever, but he's alone at this point. So it's kind of mysterious what's happened to his family. And that's, uh, that's Killian Murphy's character, Emmett. but their first running with him is he set up these traps and you were talking, the reason I got to this point is because you were talking about how they have the worst luck. They set up the traps and it drops this thing of bottles that makes a big loud noise. And uh, 
Emily Blunt's character is just like run and they start running and then the son steps in a bear trap which yeah. is another trap but that the guy set up but oh man <laughs> well and and you know that's that's an interesting choice because obviously he's setting it up the the noisy alarm to alert him if something comes through the sort of you know what let's call it a demilitarized zone but of course loud noises are also what attract these creatures so if you yes. have one hunting you know sort of perusing and hunting for you and this loud noise happens then you're just you're just calling a bunch of them at once i think i mean in this case it sets up the first opportunity for uh reagan the the teen daughter the one who was was deaf and has this cochlear implant it sets up the first opportunity for her to try her her sound gun basically yep that can kill these things and so that's part of the conceit here too is that now they're rather than being afraid of the sounds, they're starting to be able to weaponize them uh, to disable the creatures. Yeah. So she's walking around with like the amp and she can hook up her cochlear implant, uh, the whatever the outer part is called yeah. and set that up. And it does the, yeah, that like crazy loud feedback. Right. Blooper. And uh, so you mentioned the sounds and everything like that. The sound design is what these movies and get, you know, talked about for and, rightfully so like i said i really like the camera work as well but yeah there's uh you don't get it quite as much in this one i will say that's one it's it's sort of refreshing because you do have so many questions after the first one that the, the characters get to talk more and everything like this and then they bring uh killian murphy's character he brings them into like this like underground hideaway he has i don't know where he's at like some sort of like old coal refinery or yeah. i don't know what to call it but whatever and he to like hide from the monsters they're able to go in this like furnace type thing right that uh i think it's a, he can close to be a, up like and a, then it's like a steel foundry i believe something like yeah. that yeah it's very industrial yeah and i i wanted to ask you about that like because we you know we were talking that the thing that a quiet place does so well and that this movie picks up on is that there's just nothing wasted if the if john krasinski shows you something or drop some tidbit, you can guarantee it's coming back. And in this case, yes. some of those things got wrapped up in in part two. Were you satisfied with that, or did you feel like it was almost like it spent too much time on answering questions from the first one? Or how? What was the balance like on that? Did you think this is what I would call a screenplay movie, which is while you're watching it, and maybe not everybody would notice this. Maybe just because I, I you know, I like movies so much, and I watch so much extra commentary on movies yeah. so like i kind of like the, the 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 nuts and bolts of the movies beyond just you know the the movie itself but as i'm watching it like it got to the point where i was like okay like they wouldn't do that unless that comes back and that comes back and to his credit it's, it's not bad because he does call back on all these things there's a moment in the flashback where the the daughter teaches the sign for dive killing murphy's character uses that later here i've got a little list of the yeah sorry the i didn't mean to make I could, you jump ahead i could but... remember no, you're good. So she teaches them the dive sign. There's uh, a boat that they let loose that ends up letting the, the monster get to a, a different part later in the movie. It sh they show you the oxygen is running low. Now, that one's a pretty normal one that you would expect. And then they, they're running out of oxygen. So that's kind of a ticking clock on that one. The Killian Murphy's character, the people that are left are not worth saving. That obviously comes back. Right. And the big one, while we were talking about this um, industrial place they're hiding and they're in that furnace or whatever it is. And when he closes it, he has to put a towel over where the 
the locking mechanism goes. So one, it doesn't make too much noise. And two, it doesn't lock in so they can open it and stuff. Right. And then I'm like, and like immediately when I saw that, I was like, okay, that's going to like fall at some point. Thing. <laughs> that's yeah. it. So I don't know for other people, I guess that would be something interesting. If you're listening to tweet in a, at us at nerd underscore associate N E R D underscore A S S O C when you're watching this movie or any other movies, do you notice things like that? Or do you feel like, uh, Oh, I remember that now when they finally do pay off on the comeback. Cause I'd be interesting to see if that's like a drawback at all for people. And it's not a bad thing because it it's the worst one is when you put things out there that seem interesting or seem like they could come back and then you don't do yeah. anything with it. So I give credit to John Krasinski and it's a really tight screenplay, but for me, it just felt like a little obvious, like that's going to come back. That's going to be a thing. That's going to be a thing. Yeah. And, and the problem is, is like, how do you do that obviously enough to catch people's attention, but not so obviously to beat them over the head with it? Because, yes. you know, you, you run into that problem where, if of course, if it's too subtle, maybe you have to see the movie two or three times to get it. And then you run into the problem that if you don't set up anything, people are like, well, how did he know the sign for dive? Right. And, and then people then you know, the Internet people come in with their uh, movie sins and plot holes. I and think those like, are called trolls. They live under right. bridges and they feed off of your anguish. You don't need to set up everything in a movie. It's nice when things get called back, but sometimes it's just like I can get to the point where it's like, okay, it makes sense that he would know that or yeah. that that might happen. Yeah. You and I were talking ahead of time that this these movies feel to me a lot like a session of D&D where, for those of you who may have that connection, where the dungeon master like intentionally sets up the most challenging situation for the players knowing they have like just enough of the right tools to get through them. And there's occasionally question this, for what well, for that. Well, I was just to say there's occasionally this thing in D and D where, you know, the DM or through either, you know, themselves or through an, a non-player character, like a, you know, one of the, cause the DM plays all the other characters in the world that aren't played by your, you know, players around the table where a player will say, well, would my character know that? And you kind of have to decide on the fly, like, would your character know it? Or do we roll dice to figure out like what the chances are? <laughs> there are moments in this, in these movies that kind of make you think that sort of it. Like they, like if they didn't set it up, you'd almost be a DM being like, well, let's roll a die to see if you know it. Yeah, sorry. You had a question. My question was, uh, because this happens in this movie, would this be something that you might set up if you were a dungeon master in Dungeons and Dragons where the group gets separated and they're like, uh, simultaneously going through their own challenges that like, and then, but eventually somehow they do link up at the end and like they, because they're happening simultaneously, if they both reach their goal, then they succeed together or they would fail apart. Yeah. So there's this, this, tr this idea in D and D that's been around since the beginning. It's like a joke and it's something you just say like as a meme around the table, which is don't split the party because okay. al almost always something really terrible happens when you split the party and, the right character that to handle that situation isn't present or you know the person who splits off on their own uh, you know to to look at this example of a quiet place runs into a monster that they have no hope of defeating themselves and when right. you're alone in a game like D&D &D, you're just a lot more vulnerable and so even watching movies I will sum and and this these movies are a good example of that where you would look at it and go oh no don't split the party <laughs> that's a bad idea cuz it's yeah it's it's a common thing to like run different parts of your group in tandem and try to do that cinematic thing where two scenes are going on at once and they don't necessarily have direct impact on each other but like the success of both is imperative to everyone getting back together and living and having something closer to a happy ending so no i mean 
not to make this a, a, a podcast about D&D, which we should do sometime, um, <laughs> but obviously D&D borrows from movies and a lot of filmmakers are, as I've learned, are D&D players and use these ideas when they're writing a script. I don't know about John Krasinski. I would not be surprised that he's a D&D player. He strikes me as the kind of guy who maybe played in high school or college or something. Yeah. So anywho, that is what it made me think of is, uh, is how, you know, you give... You set up these really challenging situations where like lots of bad things can happen, but the players have like just enough resource to take care of it, but you know, at what cost? You're watching a movie, you want to be entertained, right? You want there to be dramatic tension, but you kind of hit on the nail on the head that they like it it makes you realize that this is a movie with a script and everything has been written within an inch of its life. And that's not a bad thing, but it can sort of interfere with your immersion sometimes when it's yeah when that's the case you had mentioned like uh you know the potential of of what like what is too obvious and hitting you over the head and what could be too subtle and i think this is one of the reasons i like spoilers <laughs> because i like to go into a movie the first time and watch it and not have to watch a movie two or three times if i don't want to to get everything if you already know the plot before you walk into a movie, you can pick up on those clues a lot more easily. You know what I'm saying? So yes. just in, you know, in defense of spoilers, they make you have the that richer rewatching experience the first time. Speaking of the plot, there's the yeah. inciting incident when they're with Killian Murphy. He says, "You can't stay with me," but the, she's like, "Well, you, we have to fix my son's leg. He stepped in your bear trap." Yeah. And while they're trying to get him to calm down, they're they're scanning through a radio while he has headphones on, and then they 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 hear a song playing. So some sort of radio station is still broadcasting, and this is the inciting incident. Yeah. And this one, I like that they let you know you kind of let you figure out as you go on. You didn't immediately know what was going on which is probably why for movie sense they did it this way yeah. but in real sense it doesn't make any sense because the radio station is actually like a uh we're safe you know homing beacon come here if you if you can and we're you know we we found a way to kind of work around the monsters and um they're playing beyond the somewhere sea, right? beyond the sea yeah. yes and that's and the the girl figures it out and she's the like you know quote unquote code breaker for this and she's like there's a radio station she's got a map and it's got the radio station she's like there's a radio station just over you know just over the valley if you go out you know just a little bit into the ocean there's an island that has a radio station this has to be where it's coming from it's beyond the sea right. so uh, I guess I guess spoiler alert people I, sorry I have a question about that <laughs> um, because I you know I was reading the plot synopsis and not seeing the movie is there also a message attached that says like survivors come to the radio station or do they've just no, left a puzzle there is that's my thing is like okay for the movie part it, that kind of helps because then you let the girl gets figured out then it kind of gets explained to you and you're like oh okay that's clever but my question is do they think only good people can solve riddles or like what is the reason for it being a a code or a riddle to to figure out in order to come to this island and find salvation well slash and maybe i just completely missed this somewhere can the aliens understand english i mean i know they can hear uh, I don't sounds know. but like do they do they think that the aliens could well i guess maybe they just don't know enough but are they thinking but the alien the would aliens, then have to be by the radio and turn on the radio and, and hear the signal the right and go frequency. oh this government broadcast you know uh I, i'm just freshly done eating someone's throat this government broadcast says to go to this island. 
Like yeah, I just, so I don't, why would you make? I don't why know would why you encrypt it that? Again, D and D. It's what it makes me think of because that's the kind of thing you would do to like leave a little puzzle for your players. Anyway. Yeah, but like usually when you do that, it's like a character that like a Joker type character or something that's like messing with. Well, I guess it would be the Riddler, but you know what yeah. I mean, like a character that's like maybe messing with the protagonist or something like that. But no, these are seemingly good people on this island trying to tell people that hey, it's safe on this island. Come see us. But you have to figure out this riddle first, and that seems counterintuitive to the point of it. Maybe it's just to make sure not too many people come, but I don't know. Bad people can figure out riddles, too. Sure That's... they can. Well, yeah, you just said the Riddler, and Joker does that kind right. of crap, too. Yeah, it's almost always the bad people who decide to give a, you know an obtuse clue to what they are trying to say as opposed to actually just saying it. So either way, yeah. the... The girl figures out the riddle. She goes out on her own, and then they find out she goes out on her own, so then Killian Murphy goes to uh, get her, and she falls into, uh, not a trap, but she's working around, and she makes a bunch of noise on an abandoned subway. A monster comes for her, and she does her her thing, and she's trying to shoot it, and she she connects with a shotgun, but doesn't, like, it's not a fatal blow, so the, as the even though the sound is debilitating to the monster, it's not dead. It, it's not paralyzing. Yeah. So it's working its way towards her and then Killian Murphy kills it and uh, then they meet up. So I don't want to do a, a scene by scene, but that was a really good scene where there was a lot of tension. And because she's deaf, she doesn't it like flips where the monster hears her and goes to see her. But she's not looking in that direction. Right. So you see it in the in the background and she's in the foreground, the monster come in. And so you see it before her. And that added tension is cool. And like I said, how it flips it, how the the character we're focused on is the one who can't hear while the monster is the one who can super hear. Yeah. No, that is very interesting. Well, and they set up Killian Murphy's character the whole time to kind of be, you're not really sure about his motives. He's clearly like this sort of down and out, doesn't trust the world. He's very vague about what happened to his uh, family. Right. And then of course that comes back and is a shocking moment with the sort of a Norman Bates moment. (laughs) Right. Can I, one other question, because I, I don't know if this is ever answered in this movie. How f- how far removed from the events of the first movie is this? Well, you said it picks up right where the first one it's, left it's off. It's directly after. There's like the fire's still burning. Yeah. The yeah, the water's still filling up their basement and everything. And so I forget how long that you said the movie starts with this like dramatic scene of the aliens landing for lack of a better yes. term. How long are we between that and where we are in the rest of the movie? And they give you that. I don't know if they give you. I don't think they give that more specifically in the first one. So they I give forget, you that in yeah. this one because it says day one at that opening scene flashback. Okay. And then when it when it goes to the current story, I don't remember the exact one, but it was day four seventy something. So like a year and odd months mm-hmm. in. Yeah, fifteen months. Or so. So, if 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 uh, Emmett's wife is like mummified, how long has she been dead? <laughs> <laughs> like a long that's time. A good, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I'm not an expert on exactly how, on how that works. And Why aren't starts, you? But yeah, <laughs> you're right. I should have studied my mummification before I got on this podcast today. But yeah. yeah, that that is a good point. That's you know, like how long? Like how long? Because he seems pretty good at dealing with the situation. So his wife was his wife was sick and in pain. Okay. So that was another reason why she wasn't able to survive. But either way, you think he would have tried to hold out as long as possible. And yeah, she seems to be, like I said, in like a Norman Bates situation where, yeah, it looks like she's been there for years, but it's barely been a year regardless. Yeah. 
I just was curious. Well, he because he well, and I guess you know, in a bad situation like this, maybe it wouldn't be that hard to give up on humanity pretty quickly. But we're like a year in, and he's already like, "I'm I'm a grizzled, hardened man. I've lost everything, Eddie, he, and I yeah, don't he, believe in people." Like <laughs> he says that anybody left ain't worth saving, right. and that comes back. But one thing I really liked about the movie and it doesn't make this mistake while that does come back when they're at the docks looking for the boat to get to the island they they meet this group of uh, i don't know it's like they're not like in spike shoulder pads but it's kind of like mad max like type people you know like yeah their teeth's all terrible and they and they you know they're just like the worst type of people and they 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 trick them by having a little girl be out there on the dock and then she like zip ties or whatever a a bottle or a bag of bottles and stuff so similar to his little trick so now he's making noise and, and the monster's coming then then he uses the sign for dive to tell the girl to dive in the water because he thinks oh we'll probably be safer you know in the water it right. offers more cover than just standing on a dock he gets and then those people get involved with the monster and then he dives in and uh this is a part that i was like hmm and it made me think of signs because I was thinking during the movie, I was like, I'm kind of glad we're past like the point in these movies where like these aliens come and they're, they're going to take over and they're so much more powerful than us. And then it's like something really like mundane or not even mundane, but something so prevalent in our world Stymies that them. kills them. Cause in signs it's water. They can't get wet. And it's like, well, the, our earth is like all water like why would they come to this planet in war of the worlds it was like germs yeah just your run-of-the-mill germs and it's like they didn't do the research to know we had germs and then in this one these apex predators who have completely taken over at least the eastern united states in 400 some days can't swim yep <laughs> they can't swim they drown like and it's not like they it's not like they struggle they straight up can't they just they, they're a rock once they're in the water, yeah, dead. I, I, and I know what you're saying. It's like awfully convenient, but you're talking about creatures that in every case are apex predators in their own territory, like where they're from, they're an apex predator, right? Yeah. But it's like an invasive species. You know, some sometimes you introduce a species into a new place and it just really thrives and it can, you know, kick ass or whatever, but there are environmental factors that either make it able to kill everything else and take over or, you know make it self-destruct um I mean, that's the thing in the real world i get where you're coming from it's awfully convenient for me it, it didn't ruin it for me and the movie's made really well so it's fine and it you know it, it advances the plot and it makes sense of why the people are safe on the island and when they get to the island the people are being loud they're doing whatever they want because the monsters can't get there but uh it was just it was funny because earlier in the movie i had had that thought about signs and war of the world yeah and now i'm like i'm glad this movie doesn't have like a stupid reason why they're not like able to fully take over and then i mean 20 know, minutes later it happened that's the only reason i was the thing I, it just well yeah just like counterpoint to that um the thing that always bothers me with this argument and i really like signs and so i'm willing to defend it but also sort of this isn't it convenient trope yeah there's water on earth's surface but there's a difference between and the people are like well there's humidity in the air isn't that gonna kill them well there's a difference what, between what humidity in the air and 100 percent water there's yeah. a difference between you can't drink the air when there's when it's high humidity. Like we're in the it's midst of summer and it's high humidity, but like you're not in a swimming pool, <laughs> and like we need oxygen to breathe. But like the Earth's atmosphere is something like I don't know ten percent oxygen. If we if we had pure oxygen, it would just ignite spontaneously and kill us all. Like it's a matter of degrees, right? Yeah. 
And I'm I'm gonna get to these some questions that I think it it, it appears there's gonna be a third one to sure. me. Sure, sure. Questions just, that I think the I, third I one know. can answer that would help with some of these like little. These are things that like I'm still giving them credit that they could explain this away in the third one. Yeah. And the movies are made very well that it's okay. I, I'm not too worried about it. It's just something that popped in my And I'm not necessarily coming down on you, but you kind of mentioned earlier like how the internet loves to make its uh, 70 plot holes that you, that the right. uh, stupid filmmaker obviously didn't think of. Like, Actually, if you applied a little critical thinking to some of these, they might make perfect sense. <laughs> if the, this, it, Like a tiger, a tiger is great, but it, it can't survive in the ocean. Like a tiger is an apex sure. predator of its own environment, but it doesn't like it's. But not it can gonna... swim a little bit. Sure. But either way, yeah. I I got so mixed up on this plot hole that in the end I don't really care about all that much. Yeah, like I, I know. Said, I'm just. just... <laughs> but I forgot my main point because they meet up with these people. Oh, people aren't worth saving, and then they they find a way to to kind of get the upper hand on it and and escape. But what I like is because they they do that by having the monsters come in and it's almost like this moment of like daddy's home. Like yeah. the monster is still the main threat in this world. And too often post-apocalyptic type things when it's monster based or zombie based or something like that, they go away from that too much. And this is what happened to the walking dead and why the walking dead became uninteresting to me is because the zombies were just like part of the world and they were like a nuisance, but the main problem were the people. And like, then it was just the same season over and over and over again. Right. Cause that's, that's interesting. Some guy who's like this terrible person. And it's like, that's not interesting anymore. It's in, Yeah. It's interesting until it's overdone. Right. It's always about balance. Cause it's also not interesting if, everybody gets along perfectly and you just are f constantly shooting zombies in the head. Like it needs to yes. be, there needs to be a middle ground. And I think what you're saying you need, is, yeah, but you need to ground that. it in no matter who you are, good guy, bad guy, getting along, not getting along wherever you're at. And you know, maybe it's just a disagreement, whatever it is, the real threat in this world should be the monsters. And they kept that in this one. And I, I appreciated that a lot. Right. No, I, I agree with you. And I think while it's, it is interesting to highlight a person whose personality is like, I don't know. I'd rather let you die to the monsters than than ensure our both ensure both of our survivals. Like that's interesting, mm -hmm. but yeah, you can you that can quickly derail. And it's a trope at this point, right? That like right. you expect. Oh, the people are the real monsters. People, and that's again, that is interesting in moderation. But no, I think it's good when when truly the monster of the movie is the thing that's scary <laughs> about the movie. Yeah. So then you feel like they, they're they great. They get to this island and they're just shocked. These people are having a bonfire, making all the noise they want, playing music, whatever. And they're just both like aghast. Like, what's going on here? Right. And then they, they go, well, yeah, we actually did see one drown. And they're basically like, yeah, can't swim. So we're, we're cool on this island. Although I feel like what ends up happening where one is on like the drift boat and, get, and ends up getting on their island, it's like, Maybe not that exact scenario, but I still feel like they should be have they should have a few more precautions than just like living life like normal. Sure. But they were just <laughs> I mean, yeah, like because these creatures are clearly not shown to be um, like intelligent to the point of using tools. But if it's smart enough to figure out it can drift on a piece of like on a boat, it's only a matter of time before they you know, there's a big enough log that they can drift on or something like that. You would exactly. think you would do the bare minimum. <laughs> no, they were, they were basically just living like it was normal and yeah. like, I hope the rest of the world's fine. We put on that song for you. Good job figuring it out. So then they go on the island. Monster gets in. Hell ensues. Uh, these things, they give you a lot more look at the monsters in this one. And they are, they're big. They have these like 
kind of like they're kind of spider-ish but i think they're only four four limbs but like they they've got this like claw and it's not even really a claw it's like uh i don't even know what's called but it's just like an l shape and it's just sharp and it can cut through anything and they can run they're trying to drive away from it in a car and it's keeping up with them when they have to be going at least 30 40 miles an hour or something like that and they do eventually lose it so it's not as fast as a car but it's close it's much faster and that's why once it sees you and hears or once it hears you it doesn't see at all it you're done it it will get you yeah this so the quiet a quiet place was based on um a book and and i my understanding is then you know a quiet place to using those characters in an, in a new story um yeah it's interesting how basically they were like okay what are the scariest predators on earth and how can we throw them all together and it was like okay a tiger we got we got a tiger, we got a spider, we got like it's like a scorpion, but it's a big scythe instead of a poisonous spike. Yeah. Like what how can we kind of like this? a like a bat with like sonar or something right. like that too? Like, yeah. I don't know. That's in, just interesting to me how uh that you know, we take let's let's take all the things people are scared of when it comes to apex predators and throw them into one. Except swimming. They forgot a great way. Can't swim. Can't swim. Can't swim. Yeah. So you, they get to the island, uh, and it doesn't go great. But the girl does eventually get to put her uh, hearing aid thing on the on the microphone so that it's always broadcasting this. Although I was thinking they're gonna have to keep up; like they're gonna need like a battery schedule, yeah, to like replace the battery and the thing. But that's a detail that doesn't really matter. It's just again popped in my head. And um, I always love when when radio stations come up, especially in in, in any right. movie, but in the post apocalyptic movies. Uh, or apocalyptic movies i love that stuff and uh i i just think and this is such a clever use of that but i don't know i'm a sucker for when it's like oh yeah a little radio st- yeah radio yeah <laughs> so. so yeah and then you think about it like uh, if they can if somebody else can figure this out not just her family and also she gets it broadcasting just in the nick of time for her family to use it and to kill the the monster that's cornering them right so that's you know that's what i was talking about where like they're doing different things but then at the end they have to succeed at the same time sure. for it to work i guess they don't she doesn't really need them to succeed but she does because she's doing this for her family right she's not doing this just for herself um, but she is just as courageous as her dad. Good for her. I mean, that's a, you know, you talked about that being a D&D thing, and of course it is. But, like, I mean, Star Wars did that back in the day, right? You have to turn off the shield generator before you can blow up the Death Star kind of a thing. Yeah. So it's certainly compelling. And and it's like the more threads you have going on that rely on one another, the more tension is ratcheted up when something goes wrong. And, of course, as you're talking about, now there's a time limit, too. It's not mm-hmm. a time limit they know. It's not a time limit they can count down. But narratively speaking, it's only so long until... So, yeah, when you're watching her, it's not just, oh, they better get that that hearing aid on the microphone so that they can kill the monster that's attacking them. It's on top of that. Right. You're like, she better do that so her mom doesn't get killed by the monster, too. And by virtue of her deciding to leave with the one weapon that we know can kill them and leaving her family without that weapon... Yeah. Um, she has set that timer herself because even yeah even uh emily blunt the mother she she blows up a and she does this more strategically to set off some sprinklers too because it can't hear as well right with the water hitting everything but she blows up you know an, an oxygen, oxygen tank, tank yeah and next to it and it seemingly lights on fire big explosion next to it it just walks right through it yeah it doesn't i mean it blows it back for a second 
but it, it doesn't really do Arm it. So yeah. yeah, these monsters, they um, except for this sound that makes them open up their little, I guess their, their head is like one giant ear and it like <laughs> has those panels that need to open up and then you can see like the soft gushy parts yeah. of it and that's what you have to kill. Uh, unless you can do that, it, there's really, it doesn't seem like there's anything on earth. I mean, save for like military level bombs, they haven't gotten that far. Right. So maybe that would work, but yeah. those also make a lot of noise. So how are you going to get it to it? Yeah. You have thoughts about questions that were left unanswered, a potential part three. What do you think is next in the A Quiet Place series? Where do we go I think from definitely here? They're, I think definitely they're setting up for a third one. I think the third one is a good opportunity to kind of open it up a little bit more and, and, and maybe introduce a congruent story or something going on at the same time and like seeing like, how is the rest of the world dealing with this? How is the rest of the world going? Because with the swimming thing, it makes me think, okay, either these are localized to one spot or, or you know, a, a roughly one spot in North America or just a, a side of the United States, whatever's going on, or it's, it's everywhere because they dropped off enough of these. And they do talk yeah. about, there's a little news broadcast that talks about like an explosion in China or right. somewhere in asia and it's and it's like okay so that kind of lets you know that like oh maybe this whatever this event was whatever this bl ship blowing up whatever it was that dropped them there maybe this was happening all over the world but i i would like to know that so i think the third one has a good opportunity to to actually get a little bit bigger and now we've seen the story with the family and now they know now they know a, a good way to kill it and a safe place to be from them not that it's obviously not fully safe but you don't have to be looking over your shoulder to whisper a word every minute of right. every day if you can get to an island. It's interesting how I don't know that I've ever seen an alien invasion movie where they because you you alluded to this that like it would be interesting if they just dropped in North America and you had these other places in the world where they didn't have it. They it's alien movies and they're just like watching north america just like fall apart crumble which yeah. at, you know at some point because of land masses like south america given enough time south america would get it too but like in a virus movie or a zombie movie it's often like oh someone got on a plane in london and they landed in new york and now that's what takes the pandemic from one continent to another right <laughs> but yes one of these monsters is not going to get on a plane <laughs> or if they do it's not it's not coming security. across the pond yeah exactly right <laughs> <laughs> yeah they have their i'm sorry i'm sorry sir you don't have your passport wait 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 you're two of the sound monsters in a trench coat yeah. he's <laughs> got like a little hat on a little briefcase that's and so like, good <laughs> anyway okay so so you know seeing potentially other places in the world where this is happening or, or following another story that sort of lines up with this one what else i want to know a little bit more about the monsters and because this is the biggest this one is a true nitpick for me. I want to know a little bit more about what they hear, why, not why they hear, but like, why are they so interested in things they hear? Because based on what we learned from the movie, why aren't they just constantly attacking birds or like always yeah. running through the forest because they hear something rustling? Why don't they hear another one running around and thing? Maybe there's a little bit more communication about unique sounds and things like that. And sure. like I said, I'm leaving it open that they could maybe still somewhat explain that a little bit. And they did a little bit in the first one because there's the waterfall scene where he, uh, John Krasinski brings his son down to the waterfall and he's like, we're able to talk here because it's the, it baffles. The it, sound, it covers yeah. up the sound and they're not interested in the sound because it's consistent. Uh, and, They've and, figured out that's a lot. And they're, 
it's now water. Yeah, that they're afraid they like of, water. of running it's water, true. source water. But no, you're right. I mean, it again, if you look at apex predators in the wild, like tigers aren't eating grubs. They they are following sounds that sound like the things they like to eat. But you're right. Why aren't they chasing deer? Why aren't they, you know, chasing horses? But yeah, they like seem that? to, anytime a human makes noise, reckless abandon, charge in and just start slashing at anything that they hear. So there is clearly so some they, intelligence like, it here. It seems like, yeah, it seems like if that was if that was the base level of their existence, that they would constantly be doing that. Maybe there's a hive mind. Maybe there's like a, a more centralized like queen bee that is like telling them, what to do that would be interesting i think but then you might you might be getting a little too far into alien territory well i was gonna say this this movie has so many like small elements that like are slightly lovecraftian but it doesn't it certainly you would not consider it a lovecraftian horror except that just the thing the like the monsters are weird um Mm -hmm. it would start getting into that sort of territory if they all shared like a psychic link and there was an overlord and it you know it knew all and saw all that would start getting into Lovecraft territory as opposed to just like alien movie territory. Yeah. The idea of like the, uh, like the Xenomorph from the alien movies is something that also popped in my head because they seem like, yes, a a very elite predator and can exterminate something, but they don't seem bright enough to have mastered space travel on their own. So why are they here? Who sent them here? Were they just on an asteroid that blew up? Were they like this like weird thing that developed out in space and, but in space, you can't hear anything. They would be a really poor yeah. space so, Well, so here's the here's then the question. Um, looking at a part three, I agree with you that it would be interesting to find that out. But we we talked about this last week about like how you can ma- like magic the magic or science the science too much. Do you think it ruins the sort of mystery of it if you get into that level of detail, or are you just like, nah, man, peel back, pull back the curtain? I want to know how they got here and what they're think, about yeah there there is a certain point where it's like like i said i like i want there to be a, a little bit more and like see what's going on in the rest of the world but you're right i don't need like the government briefing uh scene where they're like yeah. this is what we know about the monsters and this is so you're right maybe there is just a little bit better if they they keep that in the last group of questions i had then these are the ones that i think the third could totally be open to answer but doesn't have to and like i just said some of them could be okay to be left open to interpretation has anyone else figured out the feedback frequency thing right that one i uh, that one is the one i want to see for sure yeah i want to see if anybody else has figured this out or if their message has gotten to other people and other people have used it something like that there they can't be the only people who have figured out that an extremely high feedback frequency is something that incapacitates the monsters Yeah. Are they all over the world? I already went over that one. I don't need, like I said, I don't need the big briefing scene, but something that tells me they're somewhere other than North America. Because basically, if they're on any other, if they're on any continent across the sea, they can get presumably anywhere. I mean, right. there's land to get to Africa from Europe and to Asia, correct? Correct. Yeah, Australia yeah. and Antarctica would be the only ones that would have to be like, well, and all the Pacific Islands. But yes, mm-hmm. the, the the big continents of, of Asia and Europe and Africa all have land bridges. North and South America do too. So that, yeah, yeah the only thing that would be untouched from, from those landings would be Australia and Antarctica, which is probably where know, they were maybe, anyway. Maybe, they were, probably came from Antarctica. Maybe inadvertently Van Halen saved South America <laughs> because of Panama and the Panama Canal. And then there's water there and they can't get across... It's a pretty stretch joke, but I, I wanted to go with yeah, it. Yeah, no, sorry, it didn't 
I was just thinking you meant because Van Halen and all of his guitar screeches at first, but that would work too. Yeah, I think that's probably where your joke should have gone. Uh, but you chose Panama, so we all had to witness it. Um, Speaking of, you were talking about the uh, Antarctica and Australia and the Pacific Islands. How many islands are just fine? I, I would probably like to a know lot about of them, that because they can't. Swim and like, there. why aren't you? <laughs> but it's so hard to communicate because you can't do any sound. So yeah, like the people are probably so frustrated that like ah, we could save people, but. I don't know how. We could just send emails, so, man. Those are the things I'm interested in from a part three. It doesn't have to be all of them, but just places you could go. Sure. That would be nice to get some answers. Like we said, you don't need to answer all of them, but some of those answers. Yeah. No, I agree. Overall, do you recommend it? And do you recommend taking your your theater-loving self out of the equation? Is this worth going to the theater for, for you know maybe your first movie back? Or are people going to fall more in my camp and say, ah, well, I'll just wait until July 12th and stream it somewhere. It would depend on how quiet of like a movie viewing place you have available to you. Mm -hmm. You've got a nice basement and stuff like that with a, a big comfy couch and a nice big TV and it's quiet and you can get it dark. You're probably okay to be at home. I thought it was fun. If it wouldn't be a detriment for the it to be crowded as long as nobody is being. It might even be more fun, one of those experiences where everybody's so into the movie and everybody freaks out at the same moment. And that's something you can get from the movie theater. So I, I unless you have somewhere where you can get it really quiet and everything, it, I, I, would, I would recommend going to the theater for it. The one drawback, and this is because there's not a ton of dialogue. The first one had this too. It's only 97 minutes long. And I know sometimes that feels like you're not paying for enough movie, but I... It leaves you wanting more, but the 97 minutes is still a satisfying movie from this one. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, it's good in an era of two and a half hour or three hour Star Wars and Avengers movies. It's nice to have one. That's it's like nice to have a 90 minute movie sometimes. <laughs> exactly. I, that's something I'm a to like some because sometimes it seems like movies just make them that long because that's what people expect now. And it's like, it's OK. If your story only takes 95 minutes, that's fine. As right. long as it's a good story. And this is a good story. Precisely. Well, folks, uh, let us know uh, what, you know, if you have seen A Quiet Place 2, let us know what you thought. If you are still on the fence about whether or not to go to the movie theater, I hope that we cleared some things up for you on, on that. Uh, you can reach out to us. Let us know what you thought. Let us know if you saw both of them, what you how you would compare them uh, by finding us on Twitter. Our handle there is at nerdassoc, that's N-E-R-D underscore A-S-S-O-C. You can email us at nerdassoc at gmail.com. Uh, give us some of your ideas about what you'd like to hear us talk about, or, uh, or maybe you can even come on and be one of our nerds. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. 